Well, if you have a Bible along, you want to get it out a while. We're still in the book of Luke today. Um, I'll pray for us in just a minute. Uh, Pastor Kyle asked me this morning, he said, when are you finishing up, Luke? I said, in three weeks. He said, how many sermons have you done uh, in Luke? Because uh, this has been going on three and a half years. We started three and a half years ago. Uh, he said, 150 sermons? I'm like, no, 81 till we're all done. I said, I, maybe it seemed like 150, but the end is in sight. Let's pray and ask God for his help, and then we'll dive in. Father, thank you for Jesus. He's our, not only the topic of our conversation as we've gone through this study in Luke, but uh, he is the reason uh, for the church. He's the reason for hope in our lives. Uh, he is the beginning and the end. Um, without him, uh, nothing was made that has been made. And without him, we would still be lost and in our sins. And so, uh, we exalt and lift up the name of Jesus uh, today before you and before us. And we pray that the Holy Spirit would speak to us this morning um, through your word. I pray that we would be encouraged and satisfied in the good news of Jesus Christ. Uh, there's so much happening, swirling around us that uh, consumes us and preoccupies us and perhaps instills us with fear and and you say again and again and again and again in Scripture, do not be afraid. And that's not just some self-improvement plan, but the idea that we don't need to be afraid because those of us who know you, um, related to you by the hope of Jesus Christ, and this is a Savior who not only lived and died, but who rose again. We pray in his name. Amen. Luke chapter 24. <clears throat> so in the last six months or so, prominent voices in medicine, government, media, and education are preoccupied with a single subject. And it is yes and no. The presenting problem is COVID-19, but behind it is the unmentionable subject of death. Well, nobody talks about at parties or family get-togethers, unless it's a funeral, seems to have muscled its way into nearly every conversation we have. I, uh, for, since March, I don't think there's a conversation I've had with anyone that has not... It, eventually gone to COVID-19 and what's happening in the society about it and so forth. We don't actually mention death, but that's ultimately what's behind every discussion about school openings and masks and virus testings, restaurant outings, hand sanitizer, jobs, unemployment. The specter of death is behind it all. If COVID-19 could not kill, we wouldn't be having these discussions. And I think for the first time in my lifetime, death has forced people to remember it despite how hard they usually work to forget it. <clears throat> On Tuesday, I got a phone call from a woman I haven't talked to in almost 50 years. Um, her family is good friends with my family growing up. And uh, she had been trying to get a hold of my mother uh, at the retirement home, 
and couldn't, and she was growing concerned that something had happened and didn't know how to get a hold of me, and she had a relative uh, track me down through the church, got in contact with me here, and uh, after I'd given her my mother's new phone number and so forth, I said, I understand your husband passed away recently. He would, in his early 90s. She said, yeah. And he had several strokes, and he'd gone into the hospital right about the time the lockdown began in Pennsylvania, and she couldn't see him for several months. And then they called to say he was coming to the end of his life, and so she was allowed to go in for several hours, and then she had to leave again. And she went up to him and whispered in his ear just before she left, tonight you might see Jesus. And sure enough, several hours later, he passed away. I read an article this week written by CNN a number of years ago over Easter, and uh, most of the news agencies and news magazines often write articles about the resurrection of Jesus over Easter time. And it was kind of the typical uh, secular, atheistic uh, news piece about something like the resurrection and the incarnation. Uh, sown throughout the article was the kind of common doubts that are um, represented by uh, skeptics. And the writer closed with this. Christian thinking is resurrection thinking. It's about rebirth or reawakening in many forms, about spiritual and moral transformation. And this is the really good news of Easter. Now, I've followed these articles. Around Christmas, they have them, and around Easter, they always have them. And I've read them over the years, and they're, I think it's fair to say, always written by skeptics. But they realize that they have Christian readers, and so there's some sort of peace that they try to make, usually at the end of the article with like, we don't really believe anything you believe, but here's a bone to make it sound like we believe something of what you believe. But if you listen to it, it's like, no, you don't believe that. You're, you're trying to say, we believe the idea of what you believe, but we really don't believe the truth of what you believe. Let me read it again. Christian thinking is resurrection thinking. It's about rebirth or reawakening in many forms. That's not what the resurrection of Easter is about. It's about one form. Jesus came back from the dead. Resurrection thinking, rebirth, reawakening in many forms. It's about spiritual and moral transformation. And this is the really good news of Easter. Balderdash. If that was the essence of Easter, that would not really be good news. If Christianity offered nothing more than the idea of a resurrection one that emphasized moral improvement or a less material worldview. It would be bad news. It would mean that my friend's husband didn't actually see Jesus back in May. And it would mean that she won't ever see him again. It means that I won't ever see my dad again or you won't see your spouse again or you won't see your daughter or son again. It means that we will rot in the grave when we die. Or, worse, 
still being in God's crosshairs, we are barreling toward a death that will be anything but the peaceful kind that pastors talk about at funerals. Luke 24, <coughs> verse 1. <clears throat> Excuse me. <clears throat> this, is <a> wor- <clears throat> this, <clears throat> this is the worship team's fault. <clears throat> but very, <clears throat> but very early, all right, but very early on Sunday morning, <clears throat> the women went to the tomb, taking the spices that had been prepared, they had prepared. <clears throat> they found that the stone had been rolled away from the entrance, and so they went in. But they didn't find the body of the Lord Jesus. <clears throat> As they stood there puzzled, two men suddenly appeared to them, clothed in dazzling robes. Now the women were terrified and bowed with their faces to the ground. And then the men asked, why are you looking among the dead for someone who is alive? He isn't here. He is risen from the dead. Remember what he told you back in Galilee, that the Son of Man must be betrayed into the hands of sinful men, be crucified? And then he would rise again on the third day. And then they remembered that he had said this. And so they rushed back from the tomb to tell his 11 disciples and everyone else what had happened. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and several other women who told the apostles what had happened. But the story sounded like nonsense to the men, so they didn't believe it. However, Peter jumped up, ran to the tomb to look. Stooping, he peered in and saw the empty linen wrappings. And then he went home, wondering what had happened. I'm going to ask two questions this morning of us. And they're kind of rhetorical, if you know Jesus. If you don't, they're serious and pointed. First one is, is Christianity the result of successful marketing or a stunning miracle? Is Christianity the result of successful marketing or a stunning miracle? Now, if you were here last year, I introduced you to a professor by the name of Dr. Bart Ehrman. Dr. Ehrman is a skeptic. He was, came to faith in Christ as a teenager ended up going to a Christian university, Wheaton College, even sound evangelical school. Went there to, for higher education to Princeton University and he eventually abandoned his faith altogether. He's now an atheist. He was first, first an agnostic and now he says he's an atheist. And he's written over 30 books, most of which question pretty much everything that you read about in the New Testament. He Uh, I call him a professor of skepticism. He's called a professor of New Testament, the University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill. And I was watching, recently watching a debate he had between uh, himself and Dr. William Lane Craig, Craig, a Christian apologist. And uh, Dr. Ehrman says this, many of these stories talking about ones like this in the New Testament, in the gospel accounts, many of these stories were invented. And most of these stories were changed. And Ehrman and others like him insist that the early Christians 
didn't really, the things that are described in the Gospels didn't really happen, but they wanted them to happen. They hoped that they would happen. Uh, they, they had wishful thinking that they would happen. And so they per perpetrated a hoax, essentially. Successful marketing. The only problem with that is if the Bible actually is true history, it doesn't look anything like that. It doesn't look like these men and women are, are in the days of Jesus Christ and after his death and resurrection, it doesn't look like they expected or hoped that Jesus would rise from the dead. So you have the women down at the, coming down to the tomb Sunday morning. It says they were taking the spices they had prepared. Now, they weren't taking spices to prepare a meal. They were taking spices to keep the stench of the decaying body to a minimum. Now, Nicodemus and Joseph had put some on a couple of days ago, but, I mean, the, the power to take the smell away deteriorates very quickly. More spices. They didn't go expecting to see a risen Jesus. They expected to find a dead Jesus. And the same was true with, uh, with the rest of the men that they went and talked to. So verse 4 says the women, they see this <clears throat> empty tomb. Uh, they look in it. They were puzzled. They don't understand what's happened. Well, when the angels talk to them and tell them what has happened, they rush back to tell the other disciples. And so ladies, you, you, you can identify, right? You tell your husband's thing. And like, no, that's not possible. Same thing happened with them. They ran back to the men. They tell them what happened. And they're like, no, we don't believe that. So verse, uh, verse 11, the story sounded like nonsense to the men, so they didn't believe it. I mean, does this sound like guys who are going to perpetrate a hoax? If they, didn't, they were told that Jesus would rise from the dead numerous times, but they didn't believe him. They didn't want to believe him about dying, and they couldn't believe him about rising from the dead. Now, Peter, he doesn't want to be uh, behind the eight ball, so he jumps up and he runs to the tomb to look. He stoops, he peers in, he sees the empty linen wrappings, verse 12, and then he went home again, <laughs> not convinced that Jesus had risen from the dead, he went home again wondering what had happened. I, I, and I scratch my head when I, when I think about the skeptic's belief that this was a successful marketing plan even the guys who were supposed to doing the, be doing the marketing didn't believe what they were selling. It took a long time for Jesus. Look, well, go to verse 35. Move ahead to next week's, really, next week's discussion. Then the two from Emmaus told their story of how Jesus had appeared to them as they were walking along the road and how they had recognized him as he was breaking bread. So these, these two guys are talking to the other disciples and verse 36, and just as they were uh, telling about it, Jesus himself was stu suddenly standing there among them. Peace be with you, he said. But the whole group was startled and frightened, thinking they were seeing a ghost. They still don't believe it's him raised from the dead. Why are you frightened, he asked. Why are your hearts filled with what? Doubt. They still don't believe. Jesus is standing there in front of, him. They in front of them. They still don't believe it's the guy. It's him. Look at my feet. Uh, look at my hands, look at my feet. You can see it's really me. Touch me, make sure I'm a not, not a ghost. They're still not convinced. Verse 41. Still they stood there in what? Disbelief. I, I can't believe it. 
Verse 44, he goes on to explain to them what has taken place. And it, it's just bewildering to me that people think Jesus didn't really rise from the dead. There are just some people that, that like to imagine that he could have. They didn't believe it's true. They just didn't believe that it was true. Is Christianity the result of successful marketing or an honest-to-goodness, real-world, stunning miracle? To me, it seems obvious, unless you're prepared to throw out altogether the truthfulness of any of the New Testament Gospels. Second question, does Jesus the model, put that phrase in quotes, Jesus the model change you or does Jesus the risen change you? In other words, if, a, if, if you are going to become a different kind of person, can you be that person simply based on the idea of trying to imitate Jesus as a really good person or even a moral teacher? Or is it going to take something else, namely the resurrected Jesus Christ? Any of you see the movie, uh, The Case for Christ, uh, a number of years ago, the story about Lee Strobel, some of you. Lee Strobel was a journalist. Uh, I think this was actually while we were living in Chicago. He was a journalist for the Chicago Tribune and an atheist. And his world got turned upside down when his wife came to faith in Christ. And he didn't want any part of it, but eventually seeing her faith, he, he thought, I'm going to investigate this and try to find out whether or not Christianity is a real deal or not. And in the movie, Lee Strobel's character makes this statement. If the resurrection of Jesus, if the resurrection didn't happen, it's a house of cards. And he was referring to all of Christianity. If Jesus didn't rise from the dead, the more he investigated Christianity, the more he realized the core is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And if he could prove that Jesus didn't come back from the dead, the whole thing would collapse, and he thought that he could convince his wife. And if you know the story, you know, Lee Strobel's became a devout Christian and uh, debates uh, people in college campuses today, became a pastor. And, but if the resurrection didn't happen, it's a house of cards. Pastor John Piper, some of you know of him, has written over 50 books on essentially the gospel. And somebody asked him a number of years ago, if, if, if I could prove to you that Jesus didn't rise from the dead, what would you do? And this is what he said. Then I would either have to commit suicide or grasp for a totally different view of the universe. In other words, he's saying, the lens that I look at the world through is the lens of Jesus rose from the dead. There is no gospel apart from Jesus' resurrection. And I want us to look at that now. There's no other philosophy, no other faith, no other spiritual exercise that can offer you and me both current and future hope. No other philosophy, no other faith, no other spiritual exercise that can offer you both current and future hope. Turn to 1 Corinthians 15, the most important chapter in all the Bible on the resurrection both of Jesus and potentially of ourselves. 1 Corinthians 15. 
If Jesus is still dead, so are we. Verse 17. If Christ has not been raised, so Jesus, he was spirited away by his disciples, but his body did decay somewhere else. Bones are still somewhere else. If that's the case, then your faith is what? Useless. Not just as an ideology, not just as something to try to live by, but has eternal repercussions. If Christ has not been raised, then your faith is useless and you are still guilty of your sins. If Jesus is still dead, so are we. And this means, uh, if you turn that statement on its head and, and say that if Jesus is raised from the dead, that's how we are no longer guilty of our sins, that means that the resurrection of Jesus Christ is one of those foundational things that we cannot not believe and still be born again. <clears throat> Increasingly today, we're watching the American, the demise of the American church, where less and less and less is being declared by people who claim to be Christians as I believe this and I believe this and I believe this. So more and more Christians, and this used to be just in the, I'll put this in quotes, the progressive wing of the Christian church, don't believe in the divinity of Jesus. They don't believe he was really God. They don't believe that Jesus was born of a virgin. And the resurrection is a piece of this. And increasingly in the last 20 years, we're seeing some of the, the demise of those convictions now le leaching into what would have been known as the evangelical church. We've seen it in the conversation about whether or not homosexuality is permissible uh, we, we're starting to talk about it as to whether or not a gender is fixed i.e. Genesis chapter 1 and 2 and we're talking about the nature of Jesus we're talking about the life of Jesus we're talking about who he was and what he did now I don't know where all of those lines are where we say you, you can be a Christian and not believe this and this, but you must believe this if you are to be a Christian. But I know for sure that the resurrection of Jesus Christ is one of those things. Based on not only what we just read, but let's, let's get more explicit. Romans chapter nine, uh, 10. Romans chapter 10. Verse 10. If you openly declare that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be a Christian, saved. There's two elements that Paul says. You have to declare that Jesus is Lord, and that's not simply some mouthing of a statement, but he's talking about you have to acknowledge he's your new master. It's not yourself anymore. 
It's not some important influence in your life. He's your new master. He's, he's running your show. And if you're not prepared to do that, you can't be saved. You won't be saved. Jesus must be your Lord. And secondly, you must believe, not just in some academic way. I don't really believe it, but I, I'll say I believe it because the church expects me to. No, if you believe in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead, you will be saved. You cannot not believe that Jesus is a resurrected Jesus and still call yourself a Christian. If Jesus is dead, so are we. And conversely, if he's alive, he makes everything new. Everything. Andrew Murray, a South African pastor 100 years ago, pastor and missionary, said a dead Christ I must do everything for. A living Christ does everything for me. And you know, we beat the drum here at Keystone a lot about Jesus is the beginning and the end of the gospel. It's not like Jesus starts the gospel and Keith finishes the gospel or you finish the gospel. It's Jesus died, buried, resurrected, boom, put a period there, not a comma, not a semicolon. That is the gospel. A dead Christ, I must do everything for, but a living Christ, one who came back from the dead, does everything from me. And let me give you just four things that the resurrection of Jesus Christ has done for you if you are a follower of Jesus Christ. One, there's a new union that has occurred. There is a new union between you, the repentant believer, and God the Father. Romans chapter 4, verse 25. <clears throat> Jesus was handed over to die because of our sins. In other words, the reason that Jesus went to the cross was because of your sins. It wasn't because he was trying to overthrow uh, the emperor in Rome. Uh, it, it wasn't because, uh, ultimately, it wasn't because the Sanhedrin was upset about him winning the uh, loyalty of the people. It was ultimately because in his father's eyes, he had to fulfill this assignment because of your sin and my sin. He was handed over to die because of our sins. However, if that was the end of the story and Jesus died on the cross and he was taken down on the cross, from the cross and he rotted in a tomb, we would still be in trouble. Paul goes on to say he was raised to life to make us right with God, to reconcile us with God. Because in, in our own natural state, we were not reconciled. We were estranged. We had a broken relationship that was going to cost us dearly, ultimately. It was the resurrection that made us right with God. So there's a new union with the Father. Secondly, there's a new power that God is using in your life and in mine. If you're a follower of Jesus, there's a new power that we have access to. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 19. Ephesians 1, verse 19. I also pray that you will understand the incredible greatness of God's power. What are the next two words? Read it out loud. Uh, what? For us, for us, the incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe in him, who believe in Jesus. 
This power is at our, uh, it's available to us. And he goes on, he says in verse, in verse 20, this is the same, or the end of 19, this is the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead and seated him in the place of honor at God's right hand in the heavenly realms. Same power that brought someone back to life is the power that God has for you for um, making you more and more like him, for making you a greater and greater worshiper, for making you more and more submitted to him, more and more delighted in him. All of that is not coming from your determination and your resolve. It's coming from the power of God for you for those purposes. And so, just as a side note, everything that you wrestle with in life, everything that you wish would be different in your life has the potential to be so, not because you have a great deal of self-discipline, but because you have a great power for you that God has given to you in Jesus Christ. That is and that is glorious. Third, there's a new eternal life. Obviously, the only way we have eternal life. Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. I, I gave a pitch last week for the book of Romans. I want to give a pitch for Romans chapter 8. If you're looking for something to memorize in the Bible, take on Romans 8. Oh, what a glorious, um, gospel-saturated um, believer hope-filled chapter in the Bible. Oh, it's just wonderful. Verse 11, Romans 8 says, the Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you, and just as God raised Christ Jesus from the dead, he will give life to your mortal bodies by this same Spirit living within you. And so, at the moment that I breathe my last breath, whether it's a short breath or a long breath, at that moment, I will be energized with new breath, with heaven's breath. You ever think about it? We go from, uh, we don't really stop breathing. We go from breathing this air, this oxygen, to breathing heaven's air, heaven's oxygen. God will breathe his new eternal life into us at the moment of our final breath on this life. We have a new eternal life. And ultimately, one day, that eternal life is going to lead for the believing sinner to a new body. We're back again to 1 Corinthians 15. 1 Corinthians 15, beginning verse 21. So you see, just as death came into the world through a man, now the resurrection from the dead has begun through another man. So death came into the world through Adam, all of Adam's offspring, sinners, and die because they're sinners. But now the resurrection from the dead has begun through a different man, of course, Jesus. Just as everyone dies because we all belong to Adam, everyone who belongs to Christ will be given new life. But there's an order to this resurrection. Christ was raised as the first of the harvest. And we'll talk next week about Jesus' new body because we want to understand it well, because that's a body that we're going to get one day. 
Um, just as there, was an order, there is an order of this resurrection, Christ was raised as the first of the harvest, then all who belong to Christ will be raised when Jesus comes back. So when we die, we don't get this new body immediately. We go to heaven, Philippians 1, absent from the body, present with the Lord, we go to be with the Lord. But that new body we don't get until we come back with Jesus or if we're still alive when Jesus comes back. New union, new power, new eternal life, new body. Here's the bottom line. The fact that a formerly dead Jesus is alive ought to lead us to great wonder, to great worship, and to great thanksgiving for what it means to us. The first year we got television in our home, I was a freshman in high school, and I remember watching the news reports come in. Um, Dr. Martin Luther King had been shot. And of course, this was back in the days when you didn't have video, this kind of stuff like you do now all over social media, but we had still shots. There were journalists there, photographers, and um, I remember seeing uh, shots of him on his balcony and then shots of him uh, lying on the balcony with people gathered around. And of course, uh, Dr. King, great lion of the civil rights movement, was dead. And many feared that his death would undo the civil rights movement, which really had accomplished a great deal in a relatively short amount of time. At Dr. King's funeral, a number of people stood up and gave eulogies for him, including a man by the name of James Bavell, who has since passed away. Uh, Bavell uh, was a, a minister, he was an organizer, he was um, instrumental in organizing the marches from Selma, Alabama to Montgomery, key marches that really began to change things for the civil rights movement. And this is what he said when he got up. You have heard that our leader is dead. That rumor is false. Our leader is not dead. Our leader was not Martin Luther King. Our leader is the one who led Moses out of Egypt. Our leader is the one who went down with Daniel into the lion's den. Our leader is the one who walked out of the grave on that Easter Sunday morning. Our leader neither slumbers nor sleeps. Our leader cannot be put in jail. Our leader is still on the job. Our leader is not dead. Amen and amen. Thank you for that good news, Father. That our leader lives. That he is not dead. And that he is coming back for his own. And I pray for those that haven't put themselves on that list yet by saying yes to Jesus. I pray for those who are skeptical about a risen Christ. I pray for those who believe in a risen Christ, but they haven't done anything about it yet. I pray for those who think there's time yet to wait. I pray for those who think that their life they're living and all of the pleasures that they find in it is a better life than the glorious one that you offer here and then there. I pray for these people 
that you would move in the power of the Holy Spirit in their lives for them to say yes instead of repeatedly saying no. That they would come to believe that today is the day of salvation. Today is the day to get on that list so that when Jesus comes back again or when they breathe their last in this life, there is a day of resurrection coming for them as well. In Jesus' matchless name we pray. Amen.